And there we go. We are back again for another special episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. And this one is going to be split into many different segments. And I'm looking forward to it because I've got a very special guest on today. Um, he is someone who I've been following for a good number of years now in the in the media, really. So in terms of being a correspondent for The Athletic, in terms of um, how he's going about his, his daily business and featuring recently on the overlap and being a, a key factor in why a lot of people actually read in the athletic nowadays as well. Uh, why I've still got my subscription as well. No, thanks to Anthony Hay. Uh, shout out Anthony Hay for that as well. And thank you for um, connecting me with um, the Hank Pym of football tactics, as I said, I would say before uh, recording as well. So yeah, the, the Hank Pym of football tactics, Carl uh, Anker. Mr. Anker, how are you doing today? I hope I'm I okay. I hope I didn't embarrass you with that introduction. Of, of well, the thing about Hank Pym now, I'm like, wait, Hank, Hank Pym invented Ultron. And he, he was like really soft loathing. I'm like, maybe I should be like Scott Lang. Scott Lang was the better Ant Man, wasn't he? Scott Lang, <laughs> yeah, it's played by, played by Paul Rudd as well. So there's a funnier yeah, one. Maybe I, be, maybe I should be Scott Lang or maybe, you know, Mr. Fantastic often gets called in when they're doing Illuminati stuff. So, Doctor anyway, Strange yeah, even as well. We're, to, we're talking football, not. Um, the uh, many, many things of the Marvel Universe show. <laughs> oh, I could go forever about that. So it's crazy to see that announcement of Hugh Jackman and uh, Ryan Reynolds being in a film together again after all these years. But you're right, we're talking about football and today and we are going to be talking a lot more about um, your journey in, in football journalism as well later on in the podcast. I just wanted to know before we get into the whole preview, what's your normal um, process of working on a weekend, covering the game, what does it look like for Karl Anker um, watching a, a key stake game like this for Manchester United? First question, am I at home or am I away? Uh, if you're away. If I'm away, okay. Yeah. So, well, the Manchester Derby technically counts as home because I don't have to leave Manchester to cover it. So I'm based in Manchester. Smart tactic. Uh, I'm based in Manchester. So one thing that I try and often do for away games in particular is get to the ground around about two hours before kickoff. Okay. So team team sheets, team lineup come out an hour before kickoff. So you want to get, you want to try and get there for two hours. Uh, sometimes, if possible, you want to do a, a lap around the ground, get a feel for what's going on, get get a feel for what football fans are saying, what things are being said by season ticket holders, home section, away section. If it's an away game, especially, I make sure I don't have my headphones in. Uh, one of my favourite creators, film people ever is Vern Herzog. He was big on uh, travelling on foot, reading as much as you can. Uh, when he says when you're travelling on foot, the importance of travelling on foot is so you can overhear what other people are saying because then you understand what people in that area are thinking. So very often if I'm on the train and a bunch of football fans come on, first instinct, take my headphones off. What chance are they saying? Who do they think is good? Who do they think is bad? Uh, what's their big narratives and whatnot? So that, that informs my writing. Get to the ground, most football stadiums, give the journalists a bit of food before, have a bit of food, jump on the Q&A section of The Athletic, talk to the football fans. I don't necessarily want to get dragged into questions of team lineup before the team lineup is brought up. I know loads of people go, oh, Carl, who do you think is going to start? My, my answer is, well, let's wait until the lineup happens. Like um, me. No need to I, overthink it. Uh, the joy... Of football is, if you want, you can think about that thing 25 hours a day, eight days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would like to only think about it, let's say, 10 hours a day and six days a week. Yeah. 
So I'll answer as many questions as I can beforehand, wait for the lineup. I can make a pretty good estimate of what Manchester United lineup's going to operate on, uh, depending on certain things, based on my history of certain things. Then when it's the opposition, depending on the opposition, I know certain teams in the Premier League quite well. I know certain teams in the Premier League not that well. Uh, a team like Brighton under Graham Potter, even though I knew it pretty well, Graham Potter used to do three or four or five tactics, so I'd often have to go over to the Brighton person and go, what do you think this lineup means? Uh, loads of scribbles, loads of notes. And then I'd say about half an hour before kickoff, maybe 20 minutes before kickoff. Go go to my seat, watch the warm-up, see who's doing what, see who's doing shooting drills, see who's talking to who, who's having pats with who. Then you get into the game. Um, I'm going to ask you a question now. When you watch a game of football, what are you looking at? So this is this is something that I always I've been saying a lot this year. So because I'm a football scout and I'm a football coach as well, I watch it as a scout. So I watch it as a coach as well. I don't I no longer watch it as a football fan. So when I'm watching, like prime example, I went with my sister to watch Man United versus Brighton last season, and I'm looking at how four 0 the two 0 at home with Ronaldo okay. and Bruno Fernandez. So I'm All watching right. it as a coach, and I'm like in the south stand looking next to uh, Ralph Ragnick and Graham Potter. And I'm looking at how, um, I'm looking at the pressing triggers. I'm looking at how they're setting up from the back. I'm looking at how um, Ronaldo Fernandez and Sancho are looking at getting past like Lewis Dunk and Veltman at the back as well. I'm looking at how they're going to uh, beat this axis, this three on two that they have as well. So I'm looking at all of these different things. I'm looking at where the keeper's starting from, why he's placing the ball in a certain area. I'm, I'm curious in that way as well. I can no longer see the game as a fan anymore. I always see it from a coach's perspective or a scout's perspective as well. So I'm wondering why Leandro Trossard is still not picked up as a top winger in the Premier League or a top up-and-coming winger in the Premier League. So that's just my thought process, personally. Um, okay. Yeah. So this is, so I ask a lot of people, when you watch a game of football, what are you looking at? Because okay. different people look at different things. Mm-hmm. Different people, you know, when I watch football and I'm not on work mode, I'm looking at certain things. When I watch football... In work mode, and I've had two coffees. That's completely different for me watching football. Uh, when I'm not in work mode, I'm at the pub and I've had three pints of Guinness, so to speak. But I'm much like you. I I am looking for, broadly speaking, I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking yeah. for repeated patterns. I'm looking for disruption of patterns. I'm trying to see if certain patterns are deliberate. I'm trying to see if certain things are accidental. I'm trying to see uh, if certain things are a reaction to something that's already happened. Uh, I am often monitoring, so the press box in Old Trafford is to the back and to the right-hand side of what used to be the home dugout, but which is now the away dugout. Yeah. Um, so for much of last season, I I was waiting and watching to see when the Manchester United manager would get out of their seat and go towards the dugout, because both men, all three men who were in charge of Manchester United last season, tended to sit for chunks of the game uh, rather than stand on the dugout for 90 minutes. So I was to use my example as well with Graham Potter, he was standing for 90 minutes and his assistant would come to him for as well from the yeah. bench, like sending notes to him and saying, this is what you can do. I remember vividly looking in the first half to my right-hand side, just seeing a view of the pitch and then of, in the foreground, just Graham Potter with his yeah. arms folded. Yeah. So I'm looking at stuff like that. Uh, before kickoff, I tend to have a phone call with my editor at The Athletic and we go, so The Athletic don't do typical match reports. Well, we'll tell you what the score was. We often try and tell you the story behind the story, which is a big uh, thing for us. So when Manchester United played Arsenal, I went, yeah, okay, Man United beat Arsenal 3-1. Um, Raheem, why did I say Raheem Sterling? 
That was an odd one. Uh, Marcus Rashford got two goals. Uh, Bruno Fernandes had a really great game. But for me, the, the thing that was really important to write about was Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen's impact on the game. So yep. rather than write a thousand words of A, B, C, D, here's a match summary, it was just, this is why Christian Eriksen is really important to Manchester United going forward. Um, so to do that, there was a point, I'd say, maybe 35 minutes into, this, into the game against Arsenal, where I went, I'm going to watch Christian Eriksen for a bit now and not really occupy myself with um, what's going on in the back four, or what's going on on set pieces, whatever. I'm just, I'm just going to watch Christian Eriksen's movement. I'm looking at how he's scanning the pitch. I'm looking at when he's passing to the final third. I'm looking at when he's passing backwards. I'm doing certain things like that. I'm taking notes. Now, if Arsenal had turned it to 2-2 and made it 3-2, all those Christian Eriksen notes would have gone, ah, right, okay, I'm going to have to throw these out or I'm going to have to save these later and write the, the story of how that happened as well. So when you watch a game, you want to be inquisitive. You want to have an idea about what you want to write about. You also don't want to be too fixed on it. Uh, I've said two or three times, the scoreline I find the most difficult to write about is the 1-1 one, one, mm. because you go, they were good for a bit and then they weren't good for a bit and then the score ended 1-1. One, one. It's like quite hard to get a, a proper through line on a 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Uh, not in it. Well, if, if if a game finishes nil nil, you either talk about resilient defending or you talk about inefficiency in front of goal. Is the latter pronunciation basically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, your score finishes two two, then you can talk about momentum shifts. If it's three three, blah blah blah. Um, and there's that. Uh, whereas the one one is often like, okay, this is a hard needle for thread. So yeah, that is my general sort of approach. The entire game, I'm sure, if you follow me on Twitter, you, I'd probably chuck out twenty to you know, 12 to 24 tweets throughout the game, full-time, go into press conference mode, talk to the manager about things. Uh, I haven't really had much use of the mix zone because of COVID, not because I don't like the mix zone, but because it was it was shut for the last two and a bit season. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I jump back in the Q&A section of the athletic, uh, and then I'll probably make my way home and start writing the, what I call draft 1.5. Of, 1.5. I'm looking to hear about this again. I probably do draft 1.5 of the article I'm doing. How long does that actually take you to do? Because again, like you said with the athletic as well, it's the fact that it's not uh, getting the content out quick. It's about getting it out with a proper substance, with some style, with some character as well, which I really like to see and really like to hear as well, and like to read about it, which is the best thing for me personally. There so, are some j- journalists out there who can write amazing football pieces and get that out at full time. Uh, I think Daniel Story at the iPaper is fantastic at doing on-whistle reports. Jonathan Liu at the Guardian is amazing for doing things on the whistle. Barney Rone can be really, really good. Jonathan Liu can be really good. Um, I, you know, I, I am of a certain age where I was reared on the writing of Henry Winter. Uh, and there are some very good people that can write great stuff at, on 90 Minutes. Uh, and there have been times when I've asked, you know, I've been you know, been asked to write pieces for full time. Uh, I did that for the majority of Euro 2020 covering. Well, I did a lot of con- you know collaborative articles, and we, we got those out for full time covering as well. Fantastic. So my first season at the Athletic, um, if I went to a Saturday at 3 p.m., I often wouldn't have to hand in the article until Sunday, 10 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. which often meant. I could watch the game in the stadium, do the first draft, get back to my house or the hotel I was staying at overnight, watch match of the day, see what the punditry was saying on match of the day, consult a bunch of data, whatnot I got, 
make phone calls to three or four people if I thought something was worth talking about um, for the human angle. Mm. Um, try and type up notes I might have got for the next time and whatnot. Uh, and then I could do my second or third or maybe even fourth draft in the morning after I've watched Match of Day, maybe for the second time. That's um, what I wanted to ask you as well, Carl. Does media punditry influence your writing as well? I think, well, everything influences your writing. Like, if you went to the game, like you said, you've had your whole match day experience. Do you ever go back and be like, I specifically need to watch match day to see what Alan Shearer is saying and Jermaine Genius is saying? Or could you do without it on like a match of the day too if it's a Sunday? And without uh, watching what Gary Neville says as well. How'd I put this? So that was season one. That was 1920. That was my first season working full time covering Southampton Football Club, which was yeah. a football club that I, I, I treat my season at Southampton much like a master's degree. Yeah. So I, I didn't support Southampton. Uh, I knew certain things about Southampton. And before I went to live in Southampton, I did loads and loads of research. Uh, I talked a lot to the historians of the football club. I bought loads of books. I played a season and a bit with Southampton on FIFA, on legendary that's mode. Ta- that's what I'm talking about. That's on legendary mode, about. because I knew I'm good at FIFA, but I didn't want to cheat by playing good FIFA skills. I wanted to learn, you know, so I didn't want time to win the Premier League. I wanted Southampton to, you know, how does this shape work? And what do you play on PlayStation, PC, or Xbox? Uh, I've got all the consoles. Oh my days! Uh, in a in a in a former life, I was a video game journalist. Oh, so that's crazy. Um, I'd say in my my first season at Southampton, I was often trying to absorb as much information as possible because it wasn't necessarily the thing I knew most about. Yeah, and, and I knew when I was covering Southampton, they were journalists that had forgotten way more about the ins and outs of Southampton Football Club than I did, and very much. I think humility and asking for help is very important. So while I was handing in articles before Match of the Day was finished, Southampton tended to be the last club on Match of the Day. And I would also take notes of that stuff as well. So it's a thing of some of it influences, some of it will also inform what you want to do later on. So I could hand in my piece on a Southampton Football Club or you know, now I cover Match of the I could hand in my piece before Match of the Day or before Monday Night Football discusses it. But if say Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher, Ian Wright or Gary Nicholl or Alan Shearer say something that's interesting about the thing I, I'm covering on that television show. I will take a note of it. Okay. Uh, or if I find out something is being being mentioned on foreign television, I'll go off and chase that as well. Um, and I think everything should influence what you do. Um, I, my advice to anyone who wants to write football about football is don't just watch football. Don't just read. If you're going to read sports writers, don't just read football writers. Read but what basketball journalists are saying. Read how cricket writers explain stuff. Um, cricket writers are just phenomenal because there's just so much space you have to fill. fill uh, and they go, well, I'm going to tell you an amazing story. I love listening to cricket on the radio. Um, I think if you want to write a very good profile of a football player, in like one football player, and you want to tell the story of why they're good, you should probably read a lot of boxing writing. Because boxing writing is very good at you know, describing a solo individual. Uh, if you want to talk about footballers' injuries uh, and what what it's like coming back from injuries, you should probably read NFL because yeah. NFL players are constantly breaking down, uh, and there is some really good writing about NFL players and how what, how they recover from themselves, and they describe how isolating rehab is, and that is a really good way to inform your writing about a player that's torn their ACL as yeah. well. So uh, yeah, I, I often cherry pick and take influences from loads of different places uh, I think 
there's there's been a good uh in recent weeks since the athletic has been acquired by the new york times um i've been going through the, the new york times's film review archive okay um and it's just a very good way of describing good football players by just going all right you know to borrow a classic film review so and so is playing like is a description of Nicolas Cage in this movie. <laughs> Good excuse to use Nicolas Cage in that film. Good excuse to use Nicolas Cage. I think I used the description of Nicolas Cage's performance in Bad Lieutenant. Oh, my uh, days. I used that to describe Frankie de Jong at Ajax recently. That's crazy. It's a, it's a nice way as well, because you can kind of link it to how rappers are using their lyrics to link it to football as well, which is <laughs> another way of linking, probably not on the same length, but it's just in, in terms of linking one to another as well. I did a tweet about how Jaden Sancho dribbles a bit like a veteran rapper, and I think it didn't go down well with too many people. But I, st- I stand by it. Yeah, it's 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 a throwback in a way from looking at what traditional wingers used to uh, dribble like as well. So it goes to show how many people don't really get that praise that you just gave them as well, which is crazy to really see. Oh, that's really fascinating to hear, and thank you for going into so much detail about that, Carl. It's really insightful to hear in that kind of way. Now I kind of wanted to ask you a bit about how cool it is for you to be also an, an author as well. Because I, I remember correctly, you co-wrote some of the books for Marcus Rashford. Was it some of them or both of them, the two books that he's got? He's got three. Got three um, books. Okay. So I co-wrote his non-fiction books, You Are a Champion and You Can Do It. Uh, and he's also got a fiction book called The Breakfast Club Adventures. Um, how did that come about for you? Was it as simple uh, as he asked you or someone found you? As I was like, it was November 20th. So I remember I remember scoring the hat-trick against RB Leipzig. Uh, so that's October 2020, November mm. 2020. Yeah. Um, and I got a phone call from my book agent, yeah. brilliant Becky Thomas. Uh, and I thought, this is it. My book agent is going to sack me now because I've not written a book in ages because I'm too busy playing PlayStation and going up and down the country watching football games mm-hmm. uh, she messaged me priorities saying, right there and she and she, she messaged me saying that um marcus rashford was interested in writing a book and would 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 i be interested in putting my name forward to to being a possible collaborator uh, uh sort of you know half eating breakfast and i went oh, well you know you gotta buy a ticket to win the raffle uh, i said yeah I'd, I'd love to apply for that I applied for it thinking you know if there were 50 people that apply for it, I'd be number 52. Uh, I think I once sat down and just looked at all of the members of staff at the Athletic and I thought, wow, all these people have written way more books than me. I'm, you know, novice Carl is never going to get selected. Uh, and I think two weeks later, I got a text message going, it's you. Uh, so I beg your pardon. Um, and yeah, yeah. So what I did next was I created basically a, I created a Google Doc on my on my laptop and made almost a custom Wikipedia page. Oh wow! Of Marcus how long, Rashford. How long did that take you to do? Uh, so I call it a custom Wikipedia page. So it, it looks like a Wikipedia page in the end. So it's early life, playing career, uh, social media links, uh, things outside of football, um, common interview questions he gets asked all the time, common responses to certain interview questions, and this document in the end was. 4,000 words long? Yeah. Um, a lot of it was informed by an amazing piece Danny Taylor did about Rashford that came out in late 2020. Yeah. Um, and 
I thought, okay, you know, I, th- I think I think I know a good chunk of Marcus Rashford's life. Uh, being a Manchester United fan means I, I, I know, I remember quite a few of the goals he scored as well. Did you use uh, the same process that you did when you were at Southampton, when you were learning a bit about, like, from the historians? So did you go to, like, some of his former coaches, some of his former mentors, some of his former teammates as well, to kind of create that Wikipedia page? No, yes and no, because it's a... Mm. Uh, so... When you're researching a football club, when I researched Southampton as a football club, that was very much how do I write a number of different articles at once. Yeah. So you need to. So the Southampton document I made had stuff like who are the biggest rivals and why? Yeah. Who are the rivals that they don't really consider rivals and why? Uh, who are the club legends and why? Uh, who are the people that the outsiders won't know are club legends and why? Who are the players that have become on you know punchlines essentially? Yeah. Uh, why do you know what do Southampton fans really think of Ali Dia? So that was that sort of document because I was trying to write more than one style of article. And um, when you're trying to figure out categories as well, so not only was it oh you know Southampton fans really like Franny Bernardi, I was also going, what would you do if you interviewed Franny Bernardi? Yeah, and that's how I was breaking stuff down. Whereas the the Rashford document was very much going, if you're going to write a book with him, you're going to talk to him a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, and that document had a lot, you know, had a big section on what is Rashford like in interviews. Yeah. And what are the questions that he talks to talks about a lot, what are the questions he doesn't. So there was a little note in there I had in my document of just don't ask him about the PSG penalty. Because he doesn't, you know, if you ask him about it, he'll say, Yeah, it was a good moment, but we lost the game against Barcelona. Mm. And he's just very he doesn't really get too excited about that penalty anymore. Um and there were certain things of do ask him about this. Uh, and a lot of those things had nothing to do with football. Um, like, so my approach to interviewing is a bit different from how a traditional football interview goes. And then I knew it would have to be a bit different if we were trying to write a children's book together. So the document was done. We went off to, we had a sort of Zoom meeting. Uh, I always describe it a bit like a first date or a play date where, where you sort of, do you ever have that thing in primary school where your parent tried setting you up with like their friend's kid? Oh my god! <laughs> to like hang no, out no, no. for a bit. Um, so it was a bit like that. So it was me, that my ha- agent. That happened to my brother and a girl, and that's how they ended up getting married. Childhood sweethearts, oh, right there as amazing. well. Amazing. Yeah. So if my brother and my sister-in-law listen to this mes- uh, message, yeah, Carl Anker knows exactly how you feel. So um, I'm on I'm a I'm Zoom call with Marcus. Um, and it's not just me and Marcus on the call, but it's also uh, book people uh, and, and some representatives, some you know, people of Marcus's team. Uh, and I'm on this call. I think the plan was that the conversation was going to last maybe 20 minutes, yeah. but it, Marcus is just so engaging and so calm and was just really open from the off. So but, are you basically, you're very calm, engaging. Oh, shucks. No, he's on a different level. Um, and yeah, so what, what should have been, a, I think, 20 to 30 minute conversation ended up lasting for, I think, an hour. And we just were off to the races book wise. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think I think we got the book, the first book, You're a Champion, finished in three months, which is uh, a bit ridiculous. Books aren't meant to be written that quickly. Not at all. You spent <laughs> years writing books and you did it in three months. Easy. He was uh, he's he's just he's a really engaging talker. He had a very very clear idea of what the book 
what he wanted the book to look like. He was really hands-on in terms of interactions. Uh, and there was a there was a part, I want to say, around February, March, where I mean in Jan so in January, Manchester United go <clears throat> joint top. Yeah. Of the league. And he scores the winner against Wolves in that January. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm just going, this is incredible. This is amazing. And he, he was very generous with his time. I want to make it very clear I wasn't taking out and training he was time. The, he was fighting the government as well. He was... I, fighting is perhaps a strong word for it. He was, okay, we'll rephrase it. I'd say he, he, was encouraging, he was encouraging the government to reconsider their position. Encouraging. Um, and he was also encouraging members of the British public to, to help yeah. him do something. And I think something that's very interesting to me about Marcus is that when he talks about things he's not really sure of, he will often use I, whereas when he believes he's, he understands what needs to be done and he needs help, he's very insistent on using we. And he's mm. always very strong in the community. He's always stressing on, on the collective. Um, and whatever you think of Boris Johnson, he changed his mind. Yeah. Which is something not many uh, powerful people often do anymore. Um, so that was also going at the same time. Uh, it shows uh, so, how powerful Marcus Rashford is. I think it shows how powerful the British public can be when they come together and decide to do something. Yeah. And I think that's what Marcus will tell you as well. He's, he's very thankful from of his background and, and what happened and the people that helped him get there. But I don't think he would consider what he did as something he did, yeah. but more something a lot of people around him helped create and do. My face doesn't say it, but I'm awfully touched by that story and how you got to be a part of that story as well in terms of how it was all happening around the same time. Manchester United were coming back into somewhat of a form. Marcus Rashford was encouraging the government to change their position as well. And the fact that you were just literally on the other end of a Zoom call because of the whole pandemic, just chatting to him about a brand new book as well, which was incredible, really incredible to hear. And in in a way, you probably are, but... I would I would feel so proud of being just again just associated with Marcus Rashford at the time in the way that you were because he was probably in such a great run of form he was in such a established mindset as well it must have been crazy to have been around him at the time Carl there was a point when we were having a Zoom chat and I apologized for laughing mm. I said I'm really sorry that I'm laughing I asked him a question I think I asked him something about what books did you read growing up and he said not none of them really yeah. and I'm okay I understand and, and I said what about TV guides magazines newspapers around us he goes no no he goes, we, we didn't really have any of that we didn't really have um, the resources to have to, to buy a weekly TV guide on the weekly shop and whatnot and he said to me you know the first book he can ever really remember reading that wasn't on the school curriculum was uh, when he was 17 and it looked like he was going to make the Manchester United first team, yeah. He, uh, a member of United's Academy, gave him the book Relentless, which okay. is written by Tim Grover. Mm. Um, if you've seen The Last Dance, Tim Grover is in it because he's Michael Jordan's personal trainer. So Tim Grover is the person that tells you about the, uh, the flu game. And he says, actually, it's the pizza game. And he also yeah, describes a bit about 
when Jordan comes back after baseball, he's too top heavy. So they have to reconstruct his body again and give him more power on his legs. Mm. So Relentless is a self-help book all about being relentless and being a sort of, he says there's a, there's three kinds of people and, and the top tier are people who describes as cleaners. They're the ones that get stuff done and clean up uh, and they have the keys to open lots of doors. And it was very much Mark, Mark was like, wow, this is amazing. And I remember he said, he was reading at 17 and he went, I felt really bad because if I started reading earlier, I'd been so much more ahead in life. And I started laughing because I went, Marcus, you're 23. <laughs> you've like, you've already won an FA Cup. You've already won a Europa League. Like you, you're doing absolutely fine. And I apologised. And I said, and I'm really sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at, oh, I said, I think I described this. It's, I'm, it's just like I'm laughing at the almost incredulity of it and how humble you are. And he's got an amazing ability for lateral thinking yeah uh so it's not just that's a target i have in mind he's also able to look left and right and go how do i get all these people left and right me to help get to that target as well which i think i mean i'm in my 30s and i only recently started thinking that way and i think i only recently started thinking that way because i started talking to marcus rashford um and you know i think there was what i think maybe the only time we had a I wouldn't even call it a disagreement. I think the only time where he told me something, I went, really? Was um, when he was a child. Uh, so when he was six or seven, his older brother would take him to Holly Hedge Park uh, in, in Manchester. Mm. Uh, and they'd play football, uh, play football in the park all the time. Uh, and his brother would say, you can play football with anyone who comes along and wants to play football with the ball, but you can't play with anyone who turn rocks up wearing football boots because yeah. he you know marcus was pretty undersized as a child and his other brother was afraid of him getting hurt and uh, was you know very much like i don't want anyone stamping on you any studs so if anyone rocked up playing football boots uh, marcus had to go stand on the sideline and just watch this game play yeah. uh, and marcus said that was when he learned how to do keepy uppies a lot because that he just practiced keepy uppies and other football skills and watching all these people play football uh, and i went okay i went marcus did you ever feel sad or lonely that you couldn't interact because anyway yeah a little bit but also i was practicing my skills and he thinks that the you know the fact he just got his head down and did all his keepy up he's made him very good at football skills I went, okay uh, and i said did you ever go home and ask your mom for a pair of football boots and he scoffed and went no hmm. which is very uncommon if you talk to anyone who works with children or uh and no one works in children like a school basis or social work or not. It's very unusual for the youngest sibling to not ask the parent for something that the older sibling already has. Um, and I, I'm aware of that. And I thought, that's a bit odd. Uh, you know, I'm so. a living example of that as well. My brother got a Man United kit with Ruth Van Nistelrooy in the back. And I was like, oh, I want one. And then she got my mum got me a, one with David Beckham on the back. It was the 2003 Blue Away kit. And then what happens next season? David Beckham leaves for Real Madrid. And my ah. mum was like, are you sure you wanted that kit, Hamza? I'm like, I apologise. And I, I wanted to throw it away. Um, but no, carry on. But that was, that's my thought process. You apologised. That's impressive. As, um, a, as a young kid, I was like, I'm sorry for me. And that was the last time I ever got a name printed on the back of my shirt ever. Because I thought, you know what? If that happens to me as a kid, I'm going to regret it in later life. And I'm glad I didn't get um, names <laughs> on certain kits as well. Because you imagine if you got like a, a name of like, Bastian Schweinsteiger or like Edison Cavani um, and just kind of they're like okay I'm still going to Old Trafford with these names of people who played here for a little bit 
um, instead of actually for a long period of time and are actually legends at the club. But um, yeah, that's just kind of how I felt. Um, and now that kit is worth like two, three hundred pounds, that David Beckham kit in blue, because everyone likes that one. I'm like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. <laughs> have you had that um, situation happen to you? I'm, I have a Manchester United training kit somewhere mm. in my family home in London that's got John Obi McKell's name on the back. No way. I really no. thought it was coming. John Obi McKell. Oh my God. That, that press conference is. The living bane of me. I mean, he played for Chelsea. He had a couple of good games. Chelsea is a long-standing servant for them. But you're looking at it thinking, that was when like we had Jamba Jamba in our team. Cleberson, I think, was leaving at the time. Roy Keane was about to go as well. Crazy to see. Um, but yeah, no, I just needed to hear about that from you as well. Sorry, continue with what you were saying about Marcus Rashford, about him being very patient as a younger sibling. So I said, did you ever ask your mum before a pair of football boots? And he said, no, he didn't, because he understood that his brother didn't get his pair of football boots until he was a bit older. So he honestly yeah. had to wait. And I said, Marcus, really? You never once asked your mum for a pair of football boots, age six or seven? And he said, do you think I would ask my mum for a pair of football boots knowing that my brother had to wait? Absolutely not. And I remember I sort of laughed. I went, huh? Uh, and again, it wasn't me laughing at him, but it was just the almost incredulity that someone so young could be so cognizant and so aware of his surroundings and so aware of what the people around him needed from him and so aware of what was best for him to do in order to help those as well. And I think you see that in everything he does now. Yeah. Um, so yeah that was a, an immensely gratifying experience working on those two books is the best great thing I've ever done uh, and I, you know I'm always cheering on uh, because I'm a Manchester United fan but also uh, a bit more now after our experience working together did you get a signed shirt from him? no no that would be unprofessional that would be it could be considered a gift as well I would say uh, that would be quite cool as well but no, that's really fascinating to hear because it just goes to show how, again, when you're applying yourself in a certain way, you can do so many things at the same time that you can have such a mindset of having to understand how you can do so many things at such a top level as well. Like these aren't just normal books. These are like bestseller books. These are award nominated books as well, which is great to really see. And when you were kind of growing up, Carl, when you were kind of going through um, your university stage as well, did you believe this would you would have this kind of impact on like, not just football culture, but like just youth culture as well. Like a lot of people, like you're on the tip of their tongue of, of like the first Manchester United journalists, like you, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell. They're the kind. They're kind of like the forefront of Man United um, journalists over the years. And with you being such a not recent one, but more of a modern one, I would say. Do you feel like you? You probably must do again, but you must feel some immense pride of how your journey has kind of worked from going forth as like a university student all the way to now. Uh, I often have the double tape when I brush my teeth. Okay. Wait, what? I've done what in my life? No, I had no, <laughs> I had no idea I'd do this thing. I am uh, eternally grateful, very honoured, uh, and just really humbled by everything. It, I'm talking to you right now, and I'm going to get one of my moleskins out. Uh, and I get, you know, every season, or pretty much every time I finish a moleskin, skin, I write something at the front of it. And um, so this is a most I've got from the start of the September 2020. 
So this is just before I start covering United full time. Yeah. After my season in Southampton. And right at the front of it, I've got a couple of things written on it. And one of them is you have a duty to justify the seat you've been placed in, uh, which was a little reminder of, well done. You've done worked very hard to get to this seat. Now make sure you can show everyone why you're here. Um, and that was something I told myself before my first season covering United. Um, I didn't. I went to university. I don't have a journalism degree. I went to university studying creative writing. Partway through that, I started doing cultural studies. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be a screenwriter. Uh, in third year, there was a sort of internship mentorship scheme at my university. I There was someone, one of the potential mentors was a nature documentarian. And I thought, this would be great. I'll learn how to make documentaries from this person. Wrote a CV, sent it over to him and rang me up and he went, why have you sent me your CV? I was very confused. I beg your pardon. Mm. And he said, you've written a journalist CV. Why have you sent me your CV? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what a CV looks like. I've never had a job before. I just wrote a CV. Well, I don't have a white collar job. I've never mm. had one before. And I thought, I just wrote a CV and handed it into you. And he goes, your CV reads like a journalist. You clearly want to be a journalist go and be a journalist. And he just hung up on me like that. I went, okay, all right, I guess I'll go be a journalist then. Went back to my university uh, mentorship class and I said, is there anyone, any journalist you can connect me to? Um, I was connected with David Bradley, who was the editor at Sci-Fi Magazine. Uh, and I did a two-week internship there. So I interned at that magazine, interned at Total Film, interned at other magazines as well. Worked at BuzzFeed for a bit, worked for a children's charity for about a year, uh, freelance for ages and ages and ages, worked, worked for the independent and whatnot. Uh, and there was a part in my 20s where my, my mate's dad often laughs about this. I went to my friend's family home for a Sunday roast once, uh, and his dad, who's a Chelsea fan, went, oh, Carl, I see you. So you on Twitter and you talk about football every now and again and you seem quite knowledgeable and you write about loads of things. He goes, you ever thought about writing about football full-time? I eh, no, not really. It doesn't really interest me. <laughs> uh, I must have been uh, younger than 25 at this point. Because uh, at this point, I, I was writing about video games. I was writing about movies. I was writing about other things. I went, it doesn't really interest me at this point. I went, okay, I just, I just think you'd be really good writing about football. Went, okay. Were you writing about Ant-Man coming out in 2015 around that time? Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was, the, I was one of the guys where the Marvel trailer would come out, and you'd come to me, like, right? Based on what these things have been shown, is based on these comic books. Mm. That was my, that was my early in, um, and I'd say your average year, January, I'd be writing about movies because it was Oscar season. So I'd say yep. these are the films that are going to win Oscars. Then we get a couple of months into it, we talk about get towards Easter. I talk about video games a little bit more. Then we get into the summer. I talk about MCU films because some buses come out. Get to September, FIFA would come out. And I played loads of FIFA at university, so I'd review the FIFA game. Proper research right there, extensive. Uh, it gets to November, <laughs> the new Call of Duty would come out, and I'd write about Call of Duty game. And then get to December, I'd be writing movies again. And that was my freelance stretch. I'd write about three or four subjects every single year. And I was doing that consistently, you know, interviewing people, going to film junkies, whatnot, uh, until 2018 where uh, a certain event happened called the World Cup. Ooh. And I was a freelancer and I went, oh, I should... There might be a way for me to earn some money writing about football. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to help the Players' Tribune just before the Russia World Cup. They had done a, a series called World Cup 32. So they had, they had 
worked in collaboration with 32 athletes from all 32 nations at the World Cup. Uh, and I had all these essays. Um, some of them were written in a native language, so those written in Portuguese, those written in Spanish, those written in French, uh, and they were also getting translated into English. Uh, and uh, a really, really brilliant man called Sean Conboy went, I need your help making sure some of this reads as British English rather than American English. If you, while I, I will never say Americans in football is bad, uh, I will always go, ooh, they said football cleats instead mm. of football boots. Uh, so he he asked me to come on a freelance basis and just tweak some of that. So I tweaked some, I uh, did some light edits, moved around some commas, turned cleats into boots, uh, turned up and nightly into top corner, uh, got into a massive debate about whether or not it's a penny flight or not. Uh, and that was that was the World Cup. And he, after the World Cup, he said, would you like to help me? Would you like to stay on the company on a consultancy basis throughout the 1819 season? Which I said, yeah, okay. This was also a time when the athletic was moving into the Premier League. So the athletic started athletic soccer. And I was asked, would you be interested in writing about Manchester United once a week on a freelance basis? I went, okay, fine. You go. So that was my first season writing close to a full-time basis about football. Uh, and then 1920, when the Athletic UK launched, uh, I was offered, uh, given opportunity to cover a football club week in, week out, going to all the press conferences, watching all the games, covering Southampton Football Club. And I went, all right, let's do that. I can see I can see the emotion in your eyes as well. As you say, it's just such a... It's not a linear journey, and no, nor should it be as well for someone who's definitely not a, a bog-standard journalist as well. Because again, with your writing as well, you have such an expressive way of actually writing, like you said as well. And even, I don't have Twitter. I literally just followed you on Twitter, literally <laughs> just now. And we have an account, but I don't use it. But I thought, you know what, because you mentioned it, I think I'll follow you on there as well, Carl. But it's the fact that it's just it's just very inspiring in the kind of way that it goes to show that you don't have to follow a linear process of going into football journalism as well and the fact that there's now these um, different journalists coming from different um, backgrounds as well ethnic backgrounds it means so much to see that the variety of writing out there and the variety of content media out there from this new wave of um, the new generation of, of football media is fantastic to really see and to really appreciate at the same time because even with yourself as well if you were to have said no to the football um, World Cup thing that you had at the time would you have been happy continuing with your uh, freelance role in video games, in movies, in uh, blockbusters in general? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have, you'd have seen my writing on, on maybe Sci-Fi magazine, or I'd have probably tried to end up writing for Den of Geek. I mean, I still want to write for Den of Geek. I think that's an amazing website. Mm. Or, or, or to try writing for Kotaku or Polygon because those are the places I, I read. You know, I, I grew up reading games. Master magazine and watching Games Master and Channel Four. I, I, I picked up copies of Enemy. I, I just grew up loving magazines and newspapers and whatnot. So I, I always wanted to do that in some shape or form. I also probably would have tried to have made a short film, and I still want to go and do that at some point in time. It's just that I'm looking at my watch now. Performatively, you know, football is never ending. So yeah, I'm waiting for that one summer where there's no international tournament I have to write about, and I'll try and get my head down and do something there. That should have been last summer, uh, annoyingly because of the COVID um, restrictions from 2020, it got moved over to 21. So we have to kind of see where we've got that free time as well. Could you do a short film on football in terms of like, I don't know, grassroots football or I know they did the one last year about like the cages of South London and like the hotbed of UK talent coming through there as well. 
Could that spur some inspiration for you, Carl? Uh-huh. Um, if someone went go and make a short film about football, I could do it. I just need the time and I need to pick the right subject. Um, and I've, I've had ideas. Uh, I might explore those opportunities. I'm deliberately dragging out this conversation because I'm not going to let you know what I'm actually doing. That's okay because I I've had ideas as well, and I'm like I'm nowhere. I would just be it would just be like me and my GoPro Hero Seven just like recording things and be like, so this is this is uh, like the derby between like um, Hertha Berlin and Union Berlin, and they'd be like, this is one of the difference in the derbies. It'd be like more of a copper ninety type film, if anything. I love I'm... the copper ninety stuff. I mean. I try. I tried to emulate Copper ninety this time. Eli Eli's well. stuff is amazing, and how I remember I bumped into him. It must have been twenty seventeen, maybe twenty. It was twenty seventeen, and I think it was around. The, we were going to the international break, uh, and we were in the pub, and I sort of went, "Oh, yeah, was the international break? Football's a bit boring." And his friend saw it. Oh no, don't say that. Uh, and he was like, "The international break's not boring." And he went off on just a big thing about how qualification for the 2018 World Cup was just really, really interesting. Uh, and he said, if you think the international break is boring, it's because you keep watching the same four or five teams in Europe. You need to just stop watching. Inter- when you say international break, you stop watching England versus country. Yeah, you need to start watching what's Austria doing, what's Switzerland doing, what's going on in South American qualifying, what's going on in, in, in you know, what, what's the Thai national team doing, what's the South Korean national team doing. Um, you could do those things and it really changed my opinion of stuff he was he did an amazing series going into that world cup just looking at all these international derbies and he must have gone to morocco and just told the story of what the moroccan national team was doing for the 2018 world cup um, and how they had helped change uh, well how they had benefited from work the algerian fa had done in order to change fifa rules in terms of nationalization so that you know the algerian national team was very good at changing FIFA rules so they could get more France on the 20 people who had been selected for France 21s. And the Moroccan national team got it changed again or helped get it changed again. So we now have this rule where as long as you played less, fewer than uh, three 90 minutes, you can change allegiances. So he just did this amazing documentary on that. And I went, yeah, international football is amazing. I just need to stop watching Group A of the Nations League and start watching other things as well. So he's a fantastic documentarian in terms of football. And I, I heartily recommend those videos if, if you're in need of a watch anytime soon it's one of those where like there's literally nothing to really do or to really enjoy and i'm just kind of just there, like yeah i'll watch it i'll give it a go and it's very fun to watch back at some of their early work as well because again i tried to do that this summer and it didn't come off that great it just kind <laughs> of looked like a, like a vlogger so basically what i did carl was I tried to give myself a little challenge. So I went to three different games in three different countries with three different people mm-hmm. in three different tournaments. And I tried to do it as close as possible to the, to what they work like in, in a row. And I went in four days. So basically, I Your did... Your brain went to yogurt, didn't you? Yeah. So yeah. I'm just there, like, I'm just kind of there like, okay, cool. I'm forgetting about actually recording this documentary. I'm actually recording it as like more of just like a vlog instead of actually, oh, this is why this game is going to be a big game. It was like me interviewing fans, me just getting over jet lag and just being tired of sitting at the airport with uh, EasyJet and Ryanair. Well, that's fine. It's a thing of, uh, do you, uh, have you ever watched Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain's show? Bits of it, yeah. So, you know, part, you know Anthony Bourdain, celebrity chef, wrote Kitchen Confidential. He was the person that told you not to get the fish special on a Monday. Um, and then he 
has parts of none of that amazing TV show on, on CNN where he, he travels the world and eats food and he, his big thing was you, you don't just want to eat what the middle and upper classes eat. You want to eat what the people eat. You want to, mm. the best place to, the best way to understand how a country operates is go to the place where the construction workers get their breakfast and just overhear those conversations. And that was his big thing. And he admits he wasn't a great chef, but he was just good at people. Uh, and there are many an episode on Parts Unknown where he's got a hangover or he's got the red-eye flight. And it's almost about the place he's in, but also about his experience in that place and how it's not great. So I'd say there's definitely a, a space for documentaries that also just document your um, slow unraveling. One of my favourite ever football documentaries is called Substitute by Vic, by uh, Mr. Dorasu. Who, so it's just him at the 2006 World Cup and he doesn't um, play, he, he barely plays. Mm. Um, so you're watching, so you're watching this person get more and more, um, yeah, I'll call it slow unraveling, being a substitute as France are getting to the World Cup final. Uh, and it's got, it's got one of the best final shots I've ever seen in any documentary bar none. So, uh, yeah, don't say it's more like a vlog because also vlogs are really good too. Mm. That's reassuring because literally, I literally went to Milan for a Champions League game to watch Inter Milan versus Bayern Munich. Then I came back to England and then I watched Man United versus Real Sociedad. And then that day was when the Queen had passed away. So that's when all the games on the weekend had been cancelled. So I was like, okay, cool. Now I can't stay in England to watch an England, a game in England. So I flew to Germany with my wife. And we watched Hertha Berlin versus Bayer Leverkusen in the away stand. So it was really nice in the end. And I tried to make it as cheap as possible so I could relate it to like students and stuff as well. So I really enjoyed it. I got to meet some very amazing people. That me. sounds um, fun. Yeah, it, it, is a good, it is a good thing. And because I've been working all summer, I was like, you know what? Let's enjoy myself a bit. And I, I enjoyed myself a lot. So yeah, just like you said, it was, it was, it deserved the hype it did, I think, which is quite nice. And hopefully we can get a couple more videos out there as well, which was really really good in the end um but yeah carl if you ever want to go to a game abroad in in germany tickets are very very cheap i i am well aware how cheap tickets are i am more than overdue a visit to berlin i need to mm. go say hello to the the stadio people reinhardt and musa wonga so I'm, I'm more than overdue a visit it, it's something on the to-do box once i can get through all of these football games <laughs> I'll send you all the list of restaurants as well. It's quite funny because we met a, an Olympic, not an Olympic, a GB sprinter at the Berlin TV Tower as well. And then I was like, don't I know you from somewhere? He's like, I'm not sure. I was, and he's like, were you on my flight? I was like, you might have been on my flight. And then we we're just talking about restaurants. And then my wife was like, you know, he's a sprinter for GB. I was like, oh my God. So I was like, it's just one of those things. I was like, I, I, I don't want to be that cliche guy of, of just saying, oh, you look familiar but not actually knowing what the guy's name is. It would have been quite rude to have said that. So I just messaged him on Instagram afterwards. I was like, I knew that was you. I just didn't know. I just forgot your name. So I apologize. He was like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So that was quite fun. Um, but no, speaking of that, um, Carl, I wanted to know, because you are always working and you are always working in football as well. Do you ever get the time and the opportunity to kind of broaden your horizons in terms of what you can write about and what you can kind of um, develop further for the athletic, for yourself, uh, just in football, really? What do you mean? So in terms of like how if you wanted to do something specific that hasn't really been done in like written work or in terms of how Man United have been written, like for example, you wanted to have a conversation like before and after the game 
in terms of like how a player prepares. Like if you, for example, was use Marcus Rashford for an example, would you be able to get that opportunity to speak to him before a game, after a game, how he prepares, and then that kind of thing as well? Because I know you had the Bruno Fernandez conversation last week as well. Are you asking me how much creative scope do I have in my job? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm never told no. Okay. One of the big things, one thing that is quite enjoyable at play, playing, working for the athletic, is I'm never told no. Uh, I'm, I'm. It's always, it's always yes. Or how long do you think that would take? Or can you prove it? Yeah. Uh, and the can you prove it is is always the fun bit. Uh, uh, so I'd say, you know, my average morning, I wake up seven, eight. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> I wake up, I cry, I stare at the wall after I have a shower. I go, why, why, why? Uh, why am I in England? <laughs> uh, watch the news for a bit. Read the paper, check football stats, see what people are talking about in various online spaces. I'd say around about somewhere between the hours of nine and ten. If I'm if I don't have to do a podcast early morning, sometime between the hours of nine and ten, I call the mothership. I talk to my editor. Uh, the editor will go, this is what we think is going on and will be an interesting topic of conversation for Manchester United. What do you think is being said in Manchester that could also be worth it? And then I'll go, here are my ideas. They never say no. They say yes, no. Uh, maybe we should write that at a later date so it'll be more of interest. Or they say, can you prove it? Uh, now, the can you prove it is... Sometimes the can you prove it comes from stats. Sometimes you've got to go into the optic deep dive, talk to a statistician, uh, get a heat map out, look up XG, go on FB ref. Sometimes the can you prove it is you call up that person's first ever football club, you find their first ever football coach. Sometimes that can you prove it is you get in contact with someone's football agent and you get in touch with someone else's football agent mm. and you get in touch with the football club. Sometimes the, the can you prove it uh, requires you to get on a train and, and go somewhere in the country uh, and meet people and talk to them and, and get their opinion on something. But in terms of creative scope, I'd say I've done three or four things that you wouldn't typically see in a British newspaper. And that's not because a British newspaper thinks that's a, just thinks differently. I'd say because there are just certain articles that can't fit in a tabloid. I think if you, if you, if you read something like the Daily Mirror, the back page has to get across a, sometimes a very complex footballing idea in, in less than 200 words, whereas sometimes I will go into a conversation and go, this topic needs me to write something that's 2,000 words long. Uh, there was a point in 2020, I want to say in early 2021, where a very nice Manchester United fan went, Carl, can you please explain to me what does Fred do? Uh, and I said, okay, this will take nearly 3,000 words. Mm. And I went, what? I went, it, it will just take nearly 3,000 words. Uh, and that's something you can do in online media because uh, it doesn't cost extra printing paper to explain that. Uh, and I use those as stats. I also use some historical references based on Brazilian football. Uh, I use those as screenshots because I watched a bunch of old football games involving Fred where he did good things and where he did not so good things and whatnot. Um, and and that's, that's the creative stuff and whatnot. It's the thing of, you can ask me a football question and how I choose to answer that 
can be three or four different things based on how much time I've got to hand that in. Yeah. And uh, what medium you want. If you ask me, if you ask me right now, explain how the how Gareth Southgate's England work. I can give you an answer that's fifty words long. I can also give you an answer that's five thousand words long. Uh, and it depends on you know when do you want it handed in by, and do you want it in audio form, or do you want it in written form, or do you want it in video form, or do you want it in illustrated form? It's crazy to see how it kind of works in this day and age as well. Because for me as well, like I'm quite comfortable talking like this on a podcast as well. And for a lot of people, they're happy to talk about things on like WhatsApp on chat, but when they want to talk about it in person they won't say the same thing as what they're saying and that's just on, on like layman's terms as well Carl so the fact that you're doing this in so many variety uh varieties of media as well goes to show how do you have to be trained in a certain way to actually do it or is it just like yeah I can do it in any way because you naturally <laughs> everything requires training mm. think about this one man there was a point in time where you didn't know how to use a knife and fork that is true everything requires training everything requires iteration um and the way I describe things now is different to the way I described things a year ago because that you improve incrementally, you learn what your audience responds well to, you learn what you respond well to in terms of your own creative craft. There was a point in time, I'd say in the second half of last season, where someone in the comment section of The Athletic said, Carl, really like your pieces, you really explain things really well, but you do have this habit of describing things as good to great or describing things as okay to good. Uh, and he goes, it's a bit jarring when you read two or three of your articles in a row. Could you change that? And I said, that's a really good point. The reason I do good to great is because a lot of things at Manchester United at the time existed in a spectrum or like very, very across a spectrum. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I can understand that I've probably used this phrase two or three times in two or three weeks. I will try and find a different way to describe this. Thank you for the heads up. So that's just like a, a different iteration there. You also have to understand that how you write football in August is always different to how you write football in December, which is different to how you write football in March. Because in August, you're very um, predictive. The majority of the things you're writing at the start of the season are, these are things that might happen. Yeah. Ars- you know, this is what's Arsenal playing good right now. Could they make the top four? And then you get to December and go, Arsenal are in the top four places. Here's what they need to do to stay there. And then you get to March and let's say Arsenal's still there, you go, here's what, and then you're writing more almost in response to things that have happened in the later season. Go, here's what Arsenal did to stay in the top four. Um, something I do, I'll, if, I don't know if you've seen many Manchester United press conferences, but something I often do is I will ask a manager a, a question at a press conference. I will take note of that answer. And then two or three weeks later, I will go, hello, Mr. Manager. I asked you this in Three weeks ago, I'm going to ask you the same question now. What's changed? Um, and some managers find that, some managers often respond to that well because they go, thank you for paying attention to something I said. Mm. I can actually explain my methods here. Um, now, that is a sort of question that I can do because I work online. That's not something that you can put into a pithy 50-word answer or a short sentence uh, that, say, someone who works for a newspaper does. That's not be, me saying I'm better than a newspaper person. That's just me saying... Here is the way I write. Here is the things I need to do for that forum. And here's the questions that I now ask to fill that thing. Whereas a newspaper person or, or a radio person may ask a different question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's how you do it that way. And that's how you improve over time. 
that's extraordinary. And that's something that I think anyone listening, whether um, whatever discipline they're in, if they're in university, if they're in uh, a job that they're liking, a job they're not liking, it just goes to show that you can change your surroundings and you can change your ways of learning, just like you just said there as well, Carl, which is, like I said, extraordinary to hear you put it into so many words as well, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, as we are coming up to the end of the podcast now, Carl, I know I've taken a lot of your time and thank you very much for being so generous with it. Um, I was going to ask you about the Manchester Derby, but I thought, you know what, you've probably got X, Y, and Z and so many people just asking you about it. I'm going to change the topic because I've never actually done this before in my podcast. So again, for me being a Manchester United fan and my co-host Salem, who's not here as a Aston Villa fan, I wanted to ask you for your all-time Manchester United eleven that you have seen live. So that I've seen live? Yeah. Because that this is what we do on our podcast. We know you like a five as oh. in like as you were living so like not players that you've seen that okay or your time. so 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 it's not so do you mean as i've seen live as in since I, the day i was born or do you mean but, players i have had to be in the stadium to have seen with my eyeballs no 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 as in from when you have been alive from okay or right. if, if you're saying live then um that's just like um in, in a way limited i don't know how yeah, many games you've been live, to before if i'm saying live it's I'm only really allowed to pick players from the post-focus years. That's fine. So I, won't, I, won't, I won't allow this on this podcast. I okay. allow you to have the whole time you've been alive for. So that was my, <laughs> okay. my, my right. poor English there. But no, to the end of the podcast, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on your Manchester United all-time 11. That's all right. right. So years and years and years ago, uh, I say 2015, I read the big book of basketball from Bill Simmons. Mm. Uh, and he was a, his, that book was a big influence on how I write stuff. Um, Moving pop culture references and whatnot, and right near the end, he he does a thing where he is uh, doing combined elevens and combined basketball squads, and he said, "When you would," and he said, "One thing that you should always try and do when you do elevens or things like that is don't just pick the player, pick the year as well." Mm. Uh, he goes, "Think of them like wine, um, because 2004 Paul Scholes is very different to 1996 Paul Scholes, who is very different to 2013 Paul Scholes." Um, so, uh, I think I'll, what I'll do in my reference is I'll compare them to cars of that year because I am a I'm a Muslim, so I don't drink wine. So that's fine. Like, that's fine. I'll be, I'll be like for for cars, I'll be like 1963 Mustang is different to the 2022 Mustang. If, yeah, if you know, yeah. I mean. you know it, so I, I'm sure loads of people do their you know Manchester United 11s and they pick Cristiano Ronaldo. What year of Cristiano Ronaldo do you want to put in? Put in exactly. Um, so I, uh, if you leave me, if you leave me in front of a football manager screen for too long, which often happens. You my get dizzy. Will, yeah, my team will eventually play in a 4-3-3. So, That's um, like me. Every, every plane journey I go on, not many in, in this day and age, is football manager on the plane. It just kills me, kills all the time <laughs> in the world. Perfect. Uh, so goalkeeper, Peter Schmeichel. Uh, I'm going to take him from the treble season. Mm-hmm. Um, left back. Hmm. Left back, I'll take Dennis Owen. 96. 96, maybe 97, Dennis Owen. 96 when they won the double. Yeah, so I think 96, Dennis Owen. Mm. Um, I want Rio Vidic, centre backs. Uh, I will take that from 2008. Both of them, respectively. Yep. Yep. When they were both uh, fully fit for a season before. Both fully fit. Mm. Bing, bing, boom. Uh, Gary Neville. 
treble season. Number three is interesting. Mm. Uh, so interesting. Well, I mean, the best years when Man United are winning loads of stuff, they're not playing in a 4-3-3. So what I want to do, I want to have... Of keen treble season. It's my 11, so I'm going to be really annoying here. I'm going to take Europa League winning Paul Pogba. Ooh. Because I love Paul Pogba. Um, now I need someone to be the six because I've got two box to box midfielders there. Uh, Someone who can slow down the pace of the game. Someone who can make a bunch of tackles and be quite fun. Uh, you know what? It's an, it's an imaginary team and imaginary limits. I can just pick Paul Scholes, can't I? Why not? Why not go for Paul I will take. I will take what Paul Scholes do I want. Yeah, Paul Scholes came into the scene... Uh, 94, 95? 94, 95, Paul Scholes is the second striker. Mm. Double, uh, treble in the Paul Scholes is... Box to box in four four two, uh, and then later Paul Scholes then begins sitting against the six as a passing six around two thousand six ish. But he's not a tackler, so I will have. You know what? Screw it. I'm going triple box to box boys. Uh, I'll take, Why not? Why not? I'll, I'll take trouble winning. I'll take trouble winning Paul Scholes there uh, up front. I want Wayne Rooney from. This is the interesting one because I discussed this recently on the podcast. Um, that's yet to come out yet. Which version of Wayne Rooney was the best Wayne Rooney? When he was number nine or when he was a number ten? And for me, I loved him as a number nine. He's, Honestly, you know what? You know what I'm gonna do? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have Wayne Rooney 2008 Champions League. Mm. I'm gonna have Wayne Rooney 2010 as well as my striker. Why not clone him? Yep, I'm gonna have two of them, and then on the right hand side, I have David Beckham from Treble and Scene. So yeah, two Roonies, two Roonies, two Roonies, three box to box midfielders, and David Beckham, and Dennis Owen at left back. This is crazy. Why not? Why not? It's your team. You can do it how you please. Perfectly fine. Not real. It's so it's, it's one of those things where um when you're playing like NBA 2K as well, and then you've got like all these imaginary players. I wish FIFA had this mode when you're playing like three on three on the in the in the street. It's so fun to actually play when you've got all these legendary players that can play against one another. Why can't FIFA do that, man? It'd be so much fun to do that. Um, go back to these classic teams. Pez used to do it, I think. I think they, they did, did not. No, they didn't. You could have you could have the you could have you could unlock the older players in Master League. That was there was. It. A- there was an old football game called Viva Football, and you could have mm. that. So you could play as France, but then you could also play as France, um, 1994. The differences were just merely stats because it was on the PS1 and everyone looked the same. But that, that was a, that was a thing in an obscure football game. It, it's also a thing on Cricket 22, which I have on PS5, where you can download it when it allows the community to design these teams for the game. So the game gets more popular because the community designs these legendary Australian teams and these Indian teams. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll play with Sachin Tendulkar against uh, like Stuart Broad or something like that. It'll be quite fun. I'm not sure if you know the names, but they're two very good cricket players. One of the great. I know. I know my cricket. Young Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I, I would, have you read Wright Thompson's piece on Sachin Tendulkar? 
Oh my god, no, I haven't watched. I haven't read that. Actually, all right, there's there's your homework for today. You That's cool. Write up Wright Thompson, Sachin Tenduka. So Wright Thompson is an amazing American journalist who uh, writes for ESPN magazine. He's written two or three pieces that I've gone right. I need to completely change how I approach certain articles. Go and to do more like this. He has an amazing piece on Cristiano Ronaldo's return to Manchester United. Uh, it's got loads of bits on Bobby Stars there. He's got done an amazing piece on Tiger Woods, but I think he's done an amazing piece with Paul Pogba. But I think his best ever, and the one where you go, oh, that's why cricket's really important, is this piece on Sachin Tenduka. So, right, Thompson. I've got, Tenduka, I've, go. got it, I've got it favorited on my on my desktop now as well. So I'm looking forward to reading this tonight. I'll have it downloaded later today, which will be good fun to read. And my wife, who is Indian of Indian descent, she'll be like, "Stop talking about cricket. You talk about cricket more than I do." I think she's one of the only <laughs> Indian people from India that doesn't like cricket because I think I annoy her too much about cricket. I'm sorry, Mario, but it's the case. Um, but yeah, it is what it is, and I think that's a nice way um, to just. Say thank you, Carl, for your time today. You've been, like I said, you've been very generous with your time, very generous in how you've shared your stories and how you became a journalist, how you became uh, the journalist that you are. And especially some of your highlights as well are becoming such a household name now in terms of football journalists around the UK. Ah, my household name. Don't worry. <laughs> you will you, you will be to some football fans and then you're just kind of there, like like you said, if you're on Twitter all the time, people will see you every now and then, which would be quite cool. I can only apologise for how much I tweet. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna sorry. now stop. I'm gonna now just, stop following you now on Twitter. I just got a lot of feelings. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? It's just about how you share them as well. Um, I I tend to share them by literally just having the podcast. That's quite cool to do it like this way. It's quite cool. So everyone in the world can listen to me rant about Man United normally, especially last season. But it is what it is. Um, but uh, Carl, just before I wrap up the podcast, I do want to say thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your conversation today. And if I had to get one prediction from you um, regarding Manchester United, where do you think Manchester United will finish this season in the Premier League? Nice try. Uh, it's worth a try. It's worth a try. It's worth a try. I'll have to read about it in the Athletic. Oh, that was, that was all. We, we did so well. I thought it was going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll finally get him to say it. I was like, nah, let's leave it. It's all, it's all good. Nice try. <laughs> It's me being a bit shameless there, but I'm happy about it. I gave it a go. Um, but no, Carl, thank you very much for the time. If you have any closing messages for our listeners, um, the floor is yours, my friend. No, just take courage. It's going to be a quite annoying winter, but understand there will be things you need to endure, but there's also things that you can enjoy. So uh, do that as well. And also football's a child's game. So I try really hard not to let a bad result ruin my weekend anymore. Um, and I hope you can too. Definitely. I think that's a nice way of ending it. But no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Carl, thank you very much for your time. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>